Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. There is so much confusion about investment. Jason Mahendran is a senior investor at Active Partners, one of the UK's leading investment firms backing high-growth brands. This impression may be partly driven by social media and other forms of media of needing to really project this image of of success. You play the role of the successful entrepreneur and you walk in and that's what you think people need to see. I always advise that people need to think about how open they are to external input. You have to have your own idea and, and clarity of thought about what you're trying to achieve, but alongside that, you do also need to be open to input. You might have an amazing product, but actually how believable is it that that's going to become a sufficiently large business that's going to attract future investment and and future capital and interest from buyers? Welcome back to Working Hard, Hardly Working. Today we have one of my favourite episodes I've actually ever recorded. And I really, really, really wanted to do this episode as soon as I decided that I was restarting the podcast because there is so little accessible information out there about like investment and whether you should get investment and what type of investment you should get and what the world of investment and funding is like if you're not interested in it at all and you're not an entrepreneur and this isn't kind of the world you're in. And I remember when I first started my last funding round, I say that as if I've done like 23 funding rounds, I've done one funding round. And I kind of started and I would be like frantically Googling all of these things and trying to work things out because you think you're gonna be asking stupid questions, everyone you're talking to, it's kind of like a potential pitch. It's really, really hard to become well-versed in it. And I also think there's like a lot of misrepresentation around the idea of entrepreneurs and getting funded and Silicon Valley and angels and VCs and all of these things out there that I think it's really hard to make the right decision for your business. Or, you know, you might have a small business that you're trying to grow and you think that actually the only way I can do this is by getting investment and you might get investment and it actually just not be the right thing. Or you might need investment and not want it because you've heard of all of these different things. So I wanted to have like a really open and honest chat with one of our board members, Jason who I knew would be absolutely incredible on this podcast in terms of being able to make this information as accessible as possible. When I started trying to research funding rounds, I would like look for podcasts that would be doing this and that would be showing information on funding rounds. And it was just the driest thing ever. And then I'd like take out these textbooks on like venture funding. And honestly, they made me vomit. It was so dry and like there was no way I could kind of get good information out of it. If you listen to the end, you can hear Jason absolutely roast me and our original pitches and meetings so that you can learn from my mistakes, which ultimately still ended up in getting investment. But I actually kind of wanted it to just be like an open and honest forum where you can hear what people do wrong, what people do right, what makes an investable business, whether you should get investment, where you should get investment, how you get the contacts, and hopefully make that all a bit more accessible because it's definitely not accessible. If it is accessible in any ways, it's to very particular groups of people. And 
and that doesn't make sense and that does not sit right with me. So I hope you really enjoy this episode. I absolutely loved it and it's always good to have a nice roast. Jason Mahendran is a senior investor at Active Partners, one of the UK's leading investment firms backing high growth brands. Having spent most of his career in retail, Jason has spent the last 15 years within the consumer sector, supporting creators to scale global businesses across different channels and geographies. Specifically, Jason is passionate about backing the next generation of startup consumer entrepreneurs and has invested in some incredible high growth brands, including Leon, Soho House, Honest Burgers and Rafa. Active Partners also recently invested in my own brand, Tala, in our 5.7 million seed round, and Jason joined our board. Today, I'm excited to get the inside scoop on entrepreneurship from an investment perspective, including Jason's own recommendations on how your business can secure and utilize investments, maintaining brand image, and ultimately reaching world-class heights. Thank you so much for coming here today. I'm very excited to talk to you. Lovely to be here. Thank you for having me. Well, two times in a week. We did actually have our board meeting yesterday so you kind of your week's just been saturated by I'm just going to work here full time <laughs> exactly just, just move in <laughs> just move in so for the people who are interested in your background how you got to where you are now setting the scene on kind of your career could you give us a little whistle stop tour of your career and how you got to where you are now yeah sure happy to um so I Grew up just outside London. Um, I went to do economics at university and then found myself on the analyst program at mm-hmm. JP Morgan, which was a great place to start my career and get um, good foundation training on the business world, working with really large corporates on their mergers and acquisition strategies, fundraising. I was there for four years uh, here in London and then I was attracted by the sunny shores of Sydney, Australia. Um, But then after a couple of years, I was really keen to understand what it was like to be inside a business. And so joined um, the strategy team at Woolworths Group, which I always feel the need to say is not the bankrupt pick and mix retailer, although I'm a big fan. (laughs) That was great. I mean, it was amazing, (laughs) but actually uh, effectively Tesco in Australia, Mm. New Zealand, the largest retailer um, in that market and worked with them on a range of different things across strategy and organic and inorganic growth initiatives. And then my now wife got a job in Singapore where I was for two and a half years and I worked for um, an amazing guy called Brett Blundy, who's a self-made entrepreneur, Mm -hmm. started his first business at 16, grew it to a multi-billion dollar um, empire really. And I worked there on a range of things, new investments through to realizing value from some of the existing investments um, before coming back to London and where I've been for the last five and a half years working for Active Partners. Uh, We're a consumer focused investment team um, looking to back the iconic brands of tomorrow. The best way we can give people context before we go into, you know, how you get investment, whether you should get investment and all of that is for for you to tell us a little bit more about Active Now and, you know, what type of check size you do, what type of businesses you invest in and all of that. It's an exciting part of the market to be in. So we are completely focused on consumer brands mm-hmm. and we like I said look for the for the brands that we think are really going to last the test of time from a, from a check size point of view are investing typically upwards of five million pounds mm-hmm. um, and our businesses are typically at the point at which we invest um, run rating from a revenue perspective at around five million pounds so when you look at this kind of scale of the business that that's where they're at and that's something that is as investors is is really really important what other types of investment could they be looking for yeah so it's a really good question because i think there is so much confusion about Mm -hmm. investment and what does it mean and where can it come from and i think often it just gets bucketed into absolutely i'm either going to have investment or i'm not going to have investment and so the way that 
we think about it to try to break that down to people is at the start of your journey if you want to raise capital the place where people would typically go to is some form of angel type investment so there might be if you're fortunate enough to have a network where you can access people from a from friends and family perspective then you can you can go ahead and do that and that will be a, it's a great way to get some funding into the business and and get off the ground mm-hmm. from there I think then it's easy to think about it as the stage of business as it grows and split the investment landscape up in that way so after that friends and family angel round that's where lots of people businesses and founders may look to the venture capital the VC space and those are typically funds that are or investors that are looking to back a number of businesses and often that, that can be quite technology focused mm-hmm. and often it can be about seeking out the next unicorn and you're really looking for like the next the next big thing but what that means inherently is as an investor some of your businesses may not get there and are less likely to succeed and then after that stage we think about the growth capital market more than private equity and that's where we at active mm-hmm. sit and the way that we think about that or the way that we would define that is it's businesses that have already proven that there is demand for what they want to do mm-hmm. um and now they're looking for capital as well as a like-minded partner to scale on that journey before then probably getting into the more traditional private equity yeah. space and in that traditional private equity space businesses are even larger still and often there can be a mix of capital that goes into the business as well as capital that goes out to existing shareholders one of the key defining factors of private equity is the use of debt in that market and that's really not something that we're doing in the growth capital space and certainly yeah. not much of it in the venture capital space they're typically larger businesses even further still at private equity um with with debt that can be used in, in those situations and then outside of that there are there are lots of other options as well whether those those are family offices um whether those are actually actually just borrowing debt as a business mm-hmm. and deciding not to go for an equity type of round. So that's how we think about the spectrum of investment and there's lots of complexity and nuance within that. Yeah, absolutely and I would say that, you know, one of the main reasons I was really keen to do this episode and to talk to you as well is the fact that absolutely as you say, there is this kind of bucket of investment non-investment. It's yeah. like you either bootstrap or you get investment and actually if you break out that investment, if you have a private high wealth investor versus a VC versus PE versus raising debt and any of those kind of various different things. There are so many differences, both in terms of what would work for your business, but also in terms of the type of business you want to build. And I remember when we first decided that we were going to be raising Fatala and I was kind of doing all of this research, it was so confusing. It was like, okay, but this is here, but this thing says it's this, but actually it only invests in this size. And I don't know some of the biggest funds, for example, are are looking at consumer, but really what they want from consumer is tech that's going to 10x within two days. And it's kind of all of these different, as you say, nuances within the space, but also a huge amount of confusion. So I'd really like today to talk about where investment might be right, where investment might be wrong, but also the brands themselves and for people who might be looking for investment or looking to the next stage of their kind of founder and entrepreneurial journey, what they really need to be kind of working towards to kind of get to that space. So you talk about brands that have um, strong customer engagement, good growth potential, fit their industry knowledge and are kind of built by visionary founders. Why are those things so important to you as an investor? Yeah, it's a great question. I think um, 
<clears throat> if we start with founders and mm-hmm. having a clear ambition and point of view, I think that it sounds like such a cliche, right? But, but business and success within business people is such a big part of that. And so a founder that not only has a clear idea of what problem they're trying to solve for in, in our landscape for the, for the consumer, but also the right level of ambition and the willingness to build that right team around them mm-hmm. is, is really important. So starting for us with what's exciting about this individual, do they have a plan for what they're trying to do? And do they want to get like-minded people around them is, is, is really, really critical. And a really big part of that is when people think about getting investment, I always advise that people need to think about how open they are to external input. It's a balance, right? Mm-hmm. Because you have to have your own idea and, and clarity of thought about what you're trying to achieve. But alongside that, you do also need to be open to input and recognize you don't know it all. And other people, whether those people in your team or your investors are going to just bring different kinds of experiences, different kinds of perspectives. But an individual who has that balance, I think is a, over time, I've seen is a really, really critical ingredient to, to success. And then if we go on to scale potential, it's really great if you've got an amazing kombucha subscription service idea that's only focused on turmeric infusions or whatever Mm. it might be. But we look at that and go, that is wonderful. You might have an amazing product, but actually how believable is it that that's going to become a sufficiently large business that's going to attract future investment and, Mm -hmm. and future capital and interest from other from from buyers and so having a point of difference over what you do but doing it in a way where you're actually accessing a sufficiently large market opportunity Mm. is really important I think when you're thinking about raising capital from investors and just just before you continue on that point I also think one of the most important things is that you don't need to want to be a really big business absolutely I think that there's this because of the entrepreneurial kind of rhetoric online at the, at the moment but also for a long time now it's this idea that you know you do see people growing these billion dollar businesses so you kind of think actually to be a successful entrepreneur i need to be do x y and z and i need to grow like this and actually a lot of people the type of life you're, if you're trying to create this life of freedom and no boss and being able to work from anywhere actually that's not going to be a high growth startup that wants to exit within three to five years that does just not like yeah. no the reality near. is a bit it's hard yeah. that. And, yeah and so but but there's every merit in the fact that you don't want to do that but that times with getting investment that's looking for growth opportunity those are not synergistic those don't go hand in hand and I think that one of the most important things that when looking at entrepreneurship actually being able to break that up into a number of different things is you can have an incredibly profitable lifestyle business that enables you to go on holiday when you want to go on holiday and you know pursue the four-hour work week and you know can also be really difficult but can pay your bills and do everything you want to do and that's no less entrepreneurship but it's a very different type of entrepreneurship from Mm -hmm. one that's looking for investment. And so really understanding what you want as a founder, I think is not talked about anywhere near enough within the space because it means that lots of people think, oh, to be an entrepreneur, I must get VC investment. But actually to get VC investment and to be a VC-backed company, you're going to be working a lot. You're going to have very clear goals. You're going to have very clear growth strategy. And that is not conducive to this whole freedom entrepreneurship things. Yeah, to build on that, though, I think that mm. that comes back to me about profile of investor. Absolutely. And actually, 
putting myself in your shoes, I think that it's really important about being clear on those personal ambitions yeah. and then finding investors that have the right kind of cultural fit with that, but also that their return expectations on mm. their investment align with that. So to, to make that super tangible, if you're going to raise capital from a Silicon Valley style, mm. traditional venture capital type of firm that is looking for something to grow a hundred times in value from mm. the point that they invested, the expectations that that investor puts on you is mm. that you it's do need to deliver yeah. that kind of hyper growth. And what that means is their version of success is that you do become a unicorn and you grow to be mm -hmm. a billion dollars in value. And then they've made an amazing return on their investment. But what that means is if something has got to $50 million of value, they're not so interested and you may then not get the funding. And what they do is there can be an approach to, again, not to generalize the whole industry, but there can be an approach of pushing businesses to be not so profitable. And that then means that entrepreneurs find themselves in a really difficult place, as opposed to finding an investor and they, you know, that, that is happy to make a lower return and mm. they definitely exist and they just might not be that traditional VC yes. fit. So I think what I need to cl clarify then from what I've said is that it's not that if you get investment, you have to want this like super high growth kind of... <laughs> probably not sleeping that much, like a lot of it, you know, like this type of thing versus if you don't, you want to be lifestyle. There's a way you can do both of those things. But I think in terms of absolutely, as you say, as founder profile, but also as your personal ambition as an entrepreneur, working out what you want from your life is very important, both when deciding whether to get investment and then also when deciding what type of investors to go for. And that's also why, you know, we have very ambitious growth plans mm -hmm. and at Tala, and we're really excited to kind of go on that journey. But at the same time, it would have been very difficult to be with a heavily tech investor who was actually saying, no, we want you to be worth this within, you know, a billion within two years. And we'd be like, mm, yeah, okay. Because yeah. <laughs> I think it's just about the, rea the reality of different business models. Mm -hmm. And I think that what we have seen probably in the last 10 years is there has been this application of tech-like thinking to... to the whole of the yeah. investment landscape. And the reality is not all businesses can grow like that, mm -hmm. as well as the fact that to sometimes recognize and reach a billion dollar type of valuation, you need to have all your stars aligning. And so actually setting an ambition where you go, I'm still going to work exceptionally hard yeah. to create a business that might be worth 40 or 50 million. Like that's yeah. still an amazing outcome, it's right? Amount. It's a huge number. So, and, and if you own 20 to 30 to 40% of that as the owned entrepreneur of that business, that's still life-changing and that's still amazing. Yeah, more than um, that, yeah. And having an investor that, that is aligned with that um, ambition. But if actually you want to create the next unicorn and that's that has its own kind of appeal to you, then that's great. And, you know, mm -hmm. find investors that also tick that box. Yeah, absolutely. And so how have those kind of key pinpoints that you go you know with customer engagement growth founder visionary all of that how have those aspects changed over time and how do you expect them to change within the next few years so i think on on those on on those list of attributes alongside founder market good economics um and the opportunity to to, to, to exit in in the right way i think those attributes are pretty much fundamental mm -hmm. to yeah. how investors think about opportunities and and those in and of themselves may not evolve as the headlines. Mm -hmm. I think how we apply them in different situations, as well as how in our space we think about the consumer and what does consumer engagement mean in practical terms may evolve over time. So, you know, historically when there wasn't social media, how you would think about consumer engagement was really different. And you would look at how far something was maybe selling through a retail store. Mm -hmm. You may look at how many, um, how much 
PR coverage, something has got those things still really matter. But I think the way in which we probably appraise some of those things evolves over time, rather than necessarily those fundamentals yeah. evolving over time, if that makes sense. Yeah, that makes complete sense. And I think on the on the customer point as well, it's very interesting, because I think that it, from my point of view, at least when I'm looking from a kind of small ticket angel investor perspective, when I'm looking at those companies that actually have amazing customer engagement, regardless of what they've done so far, that almost is able now to tell us a bit more about the future in terms of like, you know, bringing out a different product that might be really quite different from what the company's done before, but being able to be quite agile in what they're doing, especially with things like the pandemic. If you have an amazing customer base who believes in what you do and your ethos that's beyond just your product, you're almost able to be a lot more kind of future proof in terms of the way that you can kind of pivot. And I think we've seen that a lot. Yes. Yeah, for sure. I think uh, pace of innovation is, is, is effectively one of the factors that underlines those attributes, especially in, in this market. So think about um, the businesses that have really been able to build on that understanding of, of their consumer, have a community that is excited about what they're doing, but can also bring things to market quickly and respond to that. We've got face theory and skincare in our portfolio, and they have been so smart with how they have identified the specific ingredients in skincare yeah. and be able to bring things to market. Like that type of thinking um, is another element of how the consumer has evolved with how they behave with brands that allows businesses to ride that, ride that trend. When do you know if it's the right time to kind of, if you've decided that actually investment is, is what you want to get to be able to take you to the next level, when's it kind of the right, the right time? I think there isn't there isn't probably a one size fits all mm-hmm. answer for that. I think it varies a lot by the individual and their mindset. Did they want to bring in outside capital or not? And again, having assessed the different forms of that. But I also think it varies a lot by the type of business that you're doing and the category that you're in. It can also be a, res- a response to market conditions. So is there something happening? And I think having that really clear understanding of what the market is that you're operating in is extremely important when you're mm-hmm. when you're thinking about investment. Is it actually a time when competitors are not responding to trends? Is it at a time when maybe it's out of favor with the investor community and actually there's less investment being raised, but that actually might be your opportunity? So I think um, thinking about your own attributes as an individual, point one, point two, thinking about the category that you're in and how much capital you might need to get to where you want to get to. And then three, the market that you're in. Those are probably the things that determine the timing rather than there being an answer that after six months is the right time. And I think that, to touch on you, something you were mentioning earlier, Grace, I think that's also been a potential problem in the issue, in mm. the industry, that there is this perception that there is one journey Absolutely. Of how you need to grow this business and when you need to raise your capital. I read this article recently about the alphabet soup and fundraising. You know, you go from your series A to your B to C and you keep going. But but what if you don't need that? Yeah. You know, what if your business doesn't need that? So I think recognizing that you're on your own journey, not to overuse the J word, I think <laughs> is though really actually important. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I think that a lot of the time, especially when we're kind of seeing both when we're seeing a lot of bootstrapping success stories that can be really glorified and also, you know, incredible when people are really able to make a huge amount of success based only on their own kind of internal capital and reinvestment. I also think there's often an aversion to bringing in outside investors based on kind of horror stories of losing control or, you know, having to report all the time and therefore making 
short-term decisions versus which actually aren't the right thing versus kind of long-term decisions just because of that reporting. How does a founder, when they've decided they do want investment and they think it's really going to help them take them to the next level and they think it's the right thing for their lifestyle and their business, how does a founder avoid kind of running into these issues? There's definitely those stories out there. I think some of them do potentially get amplified um, and conclusions can be drawn and there's a lot of complexity in some of those situations. Mm -hmm. But I also think that there is a right time to raise capital for your business um, based on all of those attributes that, that we just talked about. But when you do decide to do that, finding the right fit and profile and spending time with your investors to understand upfront what are the different options, what's in it for them. Not being afraid to ask difficult questions mm. is something I would encourage. I think people fall into lots of different buckets, but I think there's definitely one school of thought where people go, you know, oh, I can't, I, you know, the investors do know what they're talking about and I need to behave in a certain way. It's got to be a two-way relationship. And so being able to upfront ask the kinds of questions to scenario plan and work through well if things go wrong mm. actually what do we do here how might you respond how how might I respond as an entrepreneur and starting to kind of hear how people think about those things I think is really important and then there's just some fundamental things I think people should do to protect themselves I think you know have your own lawyer to state that, uh, that doesn't sound too obvious but I think that sometimes people don't think about how they should fundamentally protect themselves get get good advice um, and have someone on your side of the table as well but do that in a respectful way and recognize though that ultimately if you find the right fit and profile of an investor and you've spent time with them they are aligned with you you know mm. you are shareholders together in the same business so there are things to think about but um it's certainly not horror stories I think those yeah. are the exceptions from what you're saying it kind of sounds like the majority of those situations if they do happen to the extent that it's kind of whatever story the, whoever has heard will often be then based on either having raised at the wrong time or with the wrong person with the wrong types of partners and not having the synergy between the type of company you want to build. The word that we overuse active all the time is is alignment mm. and it's just about setting you, you, know, you synergy it's, it's basically the same thing it's, it's is there alignment around the shape of the ambition and the shape of the plan and then on the reporting point I, I hear that a lot from entrepreneurs mm. there is this perception around Oh, but as soon as I get investment, I'm really worried about the the extent to which I'm going to have to start creating these reports. And I think that, again, it's about asking the question of investors, what reporting expectations do they yeah. have? But exactly what you've just said is, is right, which is using the interaction with an investor. And not all investors behave like this, but with your investor, using that interaction to think about, yes, let's talk about the numbers and here's what we've achieved, but then also be really forward looking and think about strategy. And so have, again, those conversations with your potential investors up front and go, what are your thoughts on our strategy? Where do you think you can help and support us? What do you think we've got wrong? I think having all of those conversations and you just set the tone yeah. of that kind of interaction, exactly as we had yesterday at our board meeting, um, is that right platform? But entrepreneurs can play a really, should play a really proactive role in setting up that dynamic and that dialogue. And it doesn't, it's not something the investor alone needs to set or drive no absolutely and I'd say that you know the decisions that you when we kind of touch base outside of board meetings on a founder to investor relationship or founder to board member relationship it's also that kind of oh this has happened we think this is the best decision but these are the results of it what do you think and kind of being able to bounce off each other if you have that alignment in terms of what type of company you want to build those conversations become pretty easy yeah, like, there's, there's no elephant in the room yeah. at that point it's it's able to you know for example be like oh this is late which means we'd need to do 
three launches in this month and actually that doesn't make sense to us. Like to me, to me, that that really affects our brand. I don't think I, I don't like it. I don't like the way it looks on social media. Yeah. I don't like all of these things and being able to, you know, if there's that alignment in terms of the company you want to create, that should, those things should, I guess, iron themselves out. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And from a pitching point of view, so yes. someone's decided they want investment from you and they come to pitch to you. Firstly, I'd like to know, tell me about one of the best pitches you've seen. What what did it entail and what did you love so much about it? So I'd first say the pitch document and what you do in that first meeting is really important. Mm-hmm. But I also think this is partly one of those assumptions about, and, and it's, there's things, you know, like the way that Dragon's Den, which I think is an amazing show, but but it creates this environment around the pitch and the oh, term yeah. elevator pitch and all of these things things and terms in the industry (laughs) make it feel like that moment is be all and end all but actually I think that it is important to to have a really clear document um and to be able to present it really well but also it's one part of I think Mm. you will remember from when we got to know you and got to learn about Tala it's a series of series it might be the foot in the door but it's unlikely going to close the deal yes yes exactly um when I think about the best things I think that I think about I'm lucky to work in an amazing sector. So I have been in pitches where I've eaten fried chicken and I've had ice cream and I've oh, had a great. beer and like, <laughs> and I, but actually I think bringing in those, those things are memorable. Should have had you try on our leggings. <laughs> well, I was like, thank, thank you that you didn't. And actually maybe we'd be sat here if, no I, was, if I was squeezing myself into skin luck. So I don't think we'd, we'd be here. But I think that bringing that excitement around what you do is memorable for people. And it is really important. And again, I think it's maybe a misconception that, investors and maybe it's partly because of the category that that I invest in and active but I do think it's really important that you get across what you're passionate and what you're excited about and in consumer and retail the thing that people are most excited about is the product or service that they're delivering so bringing that to life I think for me has always been really really memorable and then alongside that the fundamentals I'm now going to kind of slightly contradict everything I just said but alongside that I do think the fundamentals are are really important Mm -hmm. Do know your numbers, do present those numbers as well, and then have a have a plan um, of what you're actually trying to achieve, both in terms of your business, but also the, the numbers that, that you want to hit over over the years. But what are some of the best pitches? And I that the list is the list is, is 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 really, really, really long. Um, but you know, if I think about some of the things in our in our portfolio, um, I do remember meeting Nikolai as a CEO at Taylor and Hart, which mm-hmm. is a personalized fine jewelry business, and the he didn't bring me an engagement ring. <laughs> get down on one knee. Yes, he didn't, please get bring money. Invest. No, but what he did, what he did get across really well was to take it back to what we were talking about earlier is that mission of and purpose for what yeah. he was trying to do. He felt the the industry was broken in terms of how people buy engagement rings today, not enough transparency, more about the brand and not about personalization. And a really punchy compelling explanation of the product and a really clear description of what they do really quickly kind of got my interest so that um explaining what you're passionate about and bringing it to life Mm -hmm. would be where I would really encourage people to start yeah absolutely and when someone wants to be pitching to someone I, I think that the industry kind of feels like this there's this network that you don't necessarily know how to get into how do people get those meetings with investors in the first place yeah it's a good question I think that there is a reality of a lot of introductions do happen through network and Absolutely. that is just a function of, of of how the industry has evolved and it's something that absolutely needs to be thought mm-hmm. about differently and the investment industry has to work 
harder and better to 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 make it more accessible Absolutely. i think that um if you're sat at home in front of your laptop and that's where all of this type of stuff begins mm-hmm. today in reality there's lots of different ways to approach it i would say get googling on what have been businesses that uh, inspire you and find out where they have got funding from and just start to map out that landscape. And if you just follow those threads, Google an interesting business, Google their last round, so much of that stuff, it's really all publicly available information. Mm -hmm. See who their investors are, then take that onto LinkedIn if that's really really one thing that's there that's available that anyone can access. And you would be surprised at the amount of outreach that we get an active mm-hmm. that, that that is interesting that we want to engage with and we will certainly find out more um and so it's not like that that option isn't available to people so that kind of cold outreach via linkedin to investors i think is is really valuable um and then there are larger firms and places to go to that actually will give advice yeah, yeah so those might be um networks of other founders, networks of angels. You can also go through other people in your industry mm. agencies that you might work with, yeah. marketing agencies and so on. So I just think think creatively about yeah. all of the different, and don't I be afraid. so many, because also I think the thing is, is that you can't necessarily rely on, well, I, I don't think that I kind of quote unquote networked until like probably six months before we started raising and we didn't, you know, I wasn't necessarily set on kind of raising at that point so it wasn't that I was going around being like collect this person in my little black book and so I also did you know I messaged on like Instagram some brands that I was like you're amazing I've seen you like rose from here and would essentially be like can I talk to your founder I'd love to hear about like their investors because I was really keen as well to find as you would with I don't know if you would if you would might be joining a workplace and you kind of know someone who works there you talk to them about what their experience was like and all of these things I was probably the biggest pest in the world just being like hello (laughs) please please tell me more about this um and um you'd be surprised as well how open people 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 are to yeah 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 it's a it can be a and I can understand that I will have a very particular experience of that because I have a public platform and all of that but I would say I know so many people who have ended up getting you know ended up getting investment or great contacts and all of this through literally just just asking and just just yeah. kind of outreach I think that founder network is really really strong because it is not easy being mm. a founder and so the individuals that I think often find themselves that have led that made the choices to get to that that position want to share their learning because I think it's absolutely the right thing to share. Don't be afraid to pester people. I think uh, go for it. Yeah, and in terms of um, when you're in that stage of kind of talk originally talking to a company, listening maybe listening to a pitch, maybe emailing back and forth with kind of their model and more information. Yep. What do you think is the biggest red flag of kind of nope, definitely not investable. That's a good question. I think assuming you've got through the evaluation of of an individual and you've spent time with a founder and all of that alignment piece is if if I'm feeling good about that and that and that has a tick a lot of it then does come down to the financial plan Mm -hmm. going forward um and fundamentally does it does it all hang together and what do I mean by that I mean from the way that we look at things as growth capital investors at active are the is the business fundamentally able to be profitable? You know, is it something that is working in terms of the margin that it's making on a product relative to the marketing cost that they're spending to acquire those mm-hmm. those customers? Yeah. And then alongside that, is there is there the sufficient 
cash flow in the plan to deliver the, the pace of, of growth. So I would go red, is it a red flag in and of itself if you find those things? Maybe not, mm-hmm. but it's again, it comes back to the willingness to talk about it and workshop how we might be able to plan for it differently. Um, and I think that's that's important. But if I, have, if I had to think about proper, proper red flags, there are things that we are looking out for to state the obvious. There shouldn't be any fraud. There shouldn't <laughs> no. be a cash disappearing. <laughs> Tax should be paid. I mean, there are definitely those things that we look at in a diligent, yeah. in a detailed diligence process. Yeah, and I would also say that I think what's quite interesting and what people might not know from, I think because you see, maybe it's like the representation in like, films or kind of documentaries or any of these things that kind of feels like someone's been like yeah we'll give you the investment yeah. and then like you get like wired five million pounds <laughs> and I would say I mean we got a term sheet from you I think it was early September or late August yeah, like around August, that time think, yeah. and yeah oh yeah it was it was actually it was um August and we closed the Friday before Christmas yes good memory during that time I also think it's key to say the amount of you know you're not you do your due diligence. There will be some that are way heavier. There will be some, mm-hmm. you know, if you're going with a private investor, it will probably be way lighter. Yeah. Um, but there is also a very thorough process for for these things to make sure that, you know, these types of things don't happen in terms of fraud, in terms of taxes, in terms of like all of these different things. And I think it's quite interesting because until you go through that process, you don't necessarily know that you know, what all of those kind of things entail. And I also think that's part of the decision in terms of deciding, you know, I mean, it it will be a very small amount of people who don't want investment just because you're going to do some due diligence, but it's probably more just like insight into the process that we don't necessarily see otherwise. Yeah, I think it's it's totally one of those, when we get into the diligence process, more than I'd say seven out of 10 times, it's the first time people are going through it when Mm -hmm. we're doing it with them. And there is a complete, most of the time, a complete surprise as yeah. to actually what that process entails. It does depend on stage. I think if you're an early stage business and like, as you said, investor, if you're raising money from a from a high net worth individual who's putting in some capital to, to kind of seed your business mm. as an angel, there isn't actually that much to diligence, right? Yeah, there isn't a absolutely. whole load of history. There isn't a whole load of historic contracts to, to look at. So there's just less that you can do. But I think from the kind of the growth capital stage upwards, it is a big part of your process. And I would say, to answer, to answer the question about timing, do think about embarking on that investment journey when you feel like you can go through that kind of relatively detailed diligence process and you've got your, we use the phrase house in order. And what that really means is, you know, have you got your numbers ready to present? And if people are asking you questions in the detail, you, you know, you're relatively well prepared. You will not have all the answers and that's okay. But at least have the information at hand, I think is is really important. But get ready, because I always I do feel guilty when we're, when we're going through that extensive list of questions. This is my chance to say sorry. But, That's um, okay. But, you know, I, we, but we do recognise it. Yeah, it's, but it's, it's full on, but it's important. Yeah, of course. And it's also, it's valuable to both the investor and the business as well, because I think also, you know, when you're so, we've talked about this in terms of board meetings, the whole purpose isn't necessarily to just be reporting. Mm-hmm. It's to learn things about your business that you won't, necessarily find out otherwise and in, in this or you won't be because you're frantically running around solving problems all the time as a as a kind of founder or CEO or that kind of due diligence process again it's one of those things where it's actually like let's get to grips with every single area of this business yeah. and that will show kind of both of you you know things that you 
essentially need to know. The more you know, the better. And it's one of those processes, of course, it's very in-depth. <laughs> but yes. it is, there are ways, you know, in the same way as if you're managing someone and you ask them to report on something, it's not just so they do some homework. It's actually so that they know why they're making decisions. Yeah, correct. And whenever we have finished a diligence process, the most important thing actually for us at that point is have we got a clear list of things that mm. we as investors and the business collectively and the team have all learned about what's working really well and what needs to be improved? And that then gives us really great things to go in and tackle and change. And some of those can be really, really boring things on accounting controls and processes. And some of those might be, you know, we will do a digital marketing diligence on occasion where that will give really important, practical, strategic things that you can change going forward. So it is about that list of what you've learned as the main output of that process. It's very it's very good to hear that, that you have seen it in that way as well. Um, and I think what was really interesting when talking about kind of either red flags or, you know, the initial stages of a business as a whole or kind of your view on um, when you originally meet people and the types of kind of business and people you invest in. When we were kind of speaking about this episode, you said... I worry about the way entrepreneurship is portrayed. It's shown to be a lifestyle choice. And as investors, I often meet founders who come with the perspective that what will impress us is if they play the act of an entrepreneur, when in fact being obsessed with your business and what makes that amazing is where the focus needs to be. Mm -hmm. And being an open individual, the challenges you faced and kind of where you need to help is what you need to do. So this makes so much sense. And in reality, I'm sure kind of there are people who will potentially try and portray themselves in a certain type of way in a pitch or online, kind of glamorizing this idea of like entrepreneurship and acting like an entrepreneur. What's been your experience with this kind of misrepresentation of entrepreneurship? I think it can manifest itself in a few different ways. I think one of them is this impression maybe partly driven by social media and other forms of media of mm. needing to really project this image of of success and come in in almost a kind of a macho way mm-hmm. where you go you know you you like I said in that in what you just read out you, you play the role of the successful entrepreneur and you walk in and that's what you think people need to see as as investors need to see and that's what investors are buying into and I think that that is one manifestation of it and what actually instead really, really does matter is just be a, be all over your business. Um, that's what we get excited about with entrepreneurs is do they know what they're trying to achieve and are they in the detail of where they're taking their business and the decisions that they're making? And that's really what we're looking for as opposed to this illusion in some ways of what success looks like. And I think linked to that, being open to not having all the answers. So Let's talk a bit about Tala here if, you, if, you, if you're up for it, Grace. Absolutely. Roast me. Yeah, let's go. No, honestly, you're going to regret it. No, you might regret that. No, I'll be nice. Okay. Um, I think that part of that glamorization of entrepreneurship is being excess, sometimes excessively confident and mm-hmm. hyper-confident, um, which makes sense in the sense that that's why people, one of the reasons why people become entrepreneurs, because they do have self-belief and that's really valuable. And that's a big part of where success can come from, that kind of inner drive, but also coming into meetings with investors. And it might not be that first p- mm. pitch, but as you're going through the process, which which was your question, being open to what you do know and what you don't know. Absolutely. And where you need help and support and, and input. And I think that we need to, as, as investors, quickly see that people are open to that and yeah. we're able to break down the barrier and have difficult conversations. Yeah, no, absolutely. And and okay, 
when we were doing that. Yeah. So I, I think what's really interesting is, you know, when you're pitching and when you're doing a funding round and you essentially, you pretty clearly, pretty quickly know who are your kind of favorite funds and which ones you're going to go with. Undoubtedly then, when you're going into those pitches, you're going to want to be, from my experience, but also from, I'm sure, you know, anyone else who's about to go into maybe a funding round, you're going to want to absolutely come across as confident and as obsessed with the idea and the industry and everything as possible. Yeah. But of course, there are going to be big parts of the business that I know that I kind of was like, oh, I actually don't know how to crack this or anything. But it's hard to know when the balance there yeah, yeah, is between right, yeah, showing those things and being like, let's talk about it and thinking, oh, could this make the deal fall through? Ultimately, once you've been through the due diligence, the things that make the deal fall through are the things that are actually not working. It's not kind of... Bigger. It's not the fundamentals of the, Absolutely. Of the business. Yeah. But but where's, where's that line? Yeah, I think you have to you have to read the situations, and I think mm-hmm. I'm going to roast you a bit, but yeah, I think I think about we had a meeting. If you remember, I think it was the Vemrex offices where we were going through some of the new product. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it was maybe it was the outerwear, yeah, uh, and we were talking about returns or so on. And I think um, we're you know, so we're quite in the detail, right? We're talking yeah, about no, real absolutely. real operational potential issue that that might come up in the future. And I think that um, a couple of times your response was, "But but we're not going, you know, we're not going to have returns because it's amazing. People are going to love it. People are going to love it." But it was but it was coming from a place of we were also talking about why the product was amazing. So it was an aggregate conversation right, right, right. where we were talking through the detailing. Um, and I think that there was a real sense. I, I, it was super authentic. There was a real sense of, you know, you you do have such belief in the product, which yeah. is amazing. And I also got the real sense of you wanting to impress us, which is also wonderful and, and positive. And, and that, 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 is a, that is a part of the dynamic. But I would say the balance is then recognizing it you, you you said it just now this is that was never going to be something that was going to make the investment ultimately not happen mm-hmm. it was a conversation about problem solving finding a solution to a specific issue and working through it yeah. together so i think the balance if that's your question is think about when an investor is actually trying to have a operational conversation with you about something that's about the future rather than and wanting to work on that together rather than is there something more fundamental? And always, you know, put your put your best foot forward in those areas. Be confident and, and be really proud of, of your business, but be willing to engage. But absolutely, absolutely. And so so then let's let's talk about that. Let's talk about the investment. Let's talk about the kind of the process. From the beginning point, what interested you and Tala? What did we do well? And again, what didn't we do well? Yeah, okay. So we if we think about the, the 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 list of attributes of an investment that, that we look for at Active, as we looked at Tala, it was pretty clear we were t- we were ticking through those boxes. So now I'm going to boost your ego and say, you know, an a- ambitious visionary founder, <laughs> ambitious visionary founder who understands their demographic mm-hmm. well. That that was that was a big tick. A large market. We're really big believers in. In, in apparel and specifically within sustainability and specifically within active wear, we've got good experience in, in the category as well. So we understand it. So there was a fit of the market itself and our experience within it. There are interesting paths around future ownership for, for, for this kind of business and, and general investor appetite and market excitement for um, especially sustainable brands and that are doing it authentically. And our ability to to partner together was 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 really really important as well. Um, 
And so I think the, the combination of those things got us excited pretty quickly uh, and felt like it was it was a really good fit for us. And I think the the, the, the last thing I would touch on is, is people again. By that I mean the dynamic that you have with the rest of the business and the rest of the organization. So with you and Morgan, um, the MD of, of the business and how the, the, the two of you share really complementary skill sets, but rec- recognize each other's strengths and areas where there's less experience. And I think that dynamic actually felt like you've been working together for years. Mm-hmm. And so that combination, I would say, in relatively early stage businesses isn't always there. And mm-hmm. so that strength of the partnership was also something that was really important to us. We talked a bit about the, the 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 point on maybe it took it took a bit of time to start to get into authentic proper conversations like yeah. about what might go wrong, mm-hmm. and that's a really important part of getting alignment as as we talked about and um, being able to get those conversations pretty quickly. And apart from that, honestly, I, I don't think there is much you got too wrong. You were responsive and you moved at pace through the process, which is also really important to people. And I think that um, making sure that investors kind of know where they stand in the process is really important. You did have a lot of interest and you had multiple term sheets and you were in that fortunate position. And I think that you did a pretty good job at navigating through those multiple conversations. But it's something I would always encourage people to kind of keep in mind. Yeah, no, absolutely. And it gets it gets complicated at a point if, for example, you have multiple term sheets and you're, you're kind of talking to different people and actually trying to work out a deal that is exactly what you want, but without, you know, crossing what might take too long or, you know, like times and all of these different things. And also in terms of, you know, there's for people who haven't been through a funding round, there's a point that you get to exclusivity where you're going to try and close the round in about four weeks and you're not allowed to talk about it. So you also (laughs) can't let people know if they're not in the running, but you also don't want, in case something happened and it didn't go through, you obviously don't want to be like, no, go away, we're fine. Like I found one now. And you also can't be like, yes, cool, let's continue the conversation. So how would you say that people should kind of keep up that contact and do that well when they, they I can't. mean, legally can't they in can't. certain ways? Yeah, it's not, it's not straightforward. I think that trying to have given as people in the process clarity prior to, as much as you can prior to signing exclusivity is, is important. And then during that period of exclusivity, to state the obvious, focus on ultimately getting the deal done as, mm-hmm. as as quickly as you as you can from both sides of the table. You know, from the investor side of the table, you have to get the work, you have to get through the work, and it is going to take as long as it is going to take. But I think in that period, trust is really, really important, actually. And so not rushing into that mm-hmm. is what Absolutely. I would what I would advise people. Yeah, for sure. And so for people wondering what it's like to be an investor in um Tala. And a board member as well. Indeed. Can you tell us the inside scoop? The inside scoop. Oh <laughs> I personally God. would love to know. <laughs> Here we are, a few months, a few months in, Grace. Yeah. I think it's been a really wonderful start, and I'm not just saying this because you are asking me. <laughs> um, He's got a gun to his head. Yeah. <laughs> For people who are you listening can't on the see audio, it. it's here. I promise. I promise. <laughs> Because of the combination of between you and Morgan, you've got some of the basics right at the outset. And by that, I do mean partly the reporting. The quality of information is good. And so that means that as an investor, I have a really clear idea walking into any board meeting or any other conversation that we're having outside of board meetings because of weekly updates that get circulated and so on of how the business is performing, you know, against the the, the plan and the budget that we've all aligned on. And having that information relatively freely available and accessible is 
valuable and, and very helpful. And then in our board meetings, I think that means that we have proper conversations. Mm-hmm. Uh, yesterday, right, we, we were going through the product and what's coming and can't reveal too much, but lots of really, really exciting things. And so being able no to... <laughs> But being able to um, talk about, have the time and the bandwidth to talk about those kinds of things yeah. makes for a really exciting board to be on as an investor. Um, and I think that we can get into d- the detail on the things that really matter, whether that's product, whether that's marketing. But between you and Morgan and the rest of the team, I think there is, like I said, great information flow and a good amount of forward thinking. But I think the thing that we need to carry on doing, or to t- turn this into a board meeting, is keep thinking about what's coming, ne- what's, what's coming next. Yeah. Um, and I think what got Tala from A to B, and this is the same for lots of other businesses in our portfolio, what the success from A to B is not going to be the same thing that gets Absolutely. you from B to C. And it's about working out that formula and being able to test things, but also being able to really clearly look at the data and be like, actually, well, you know, we we, we can't scale whatever this was that got us from A to B. So how do we, or in the same way as we would need to, so how do we create a formula that does allow us to scale and does allow us to get in those directions. And I think that one thing you say about the team as well, I think a lot of what I've been trying to portray recently online in terms of the journey of Tala is exactly that. Like it is nowhere near just me, like not even in the slightest. I mean, I'm what, like a, a 20th of the team, if if that, but you know, beyond that, it's kind of having really, really fantastic people in the room who are so determined to make this happen. And we believe so strongly in disrupting this industry and in turning around what, you know, people expect from their activewear and how they shop activewear and all of these things. We believe in that so much from all different areas of expertise that I would really say that, you know, has been a lot of the, I mean, I guess the biggest privilege for me in, um, in founding Tala has actually been about finding people who are genuinely enthusiastic on a daily basis to sit down and be discussing the most ridiculous things and just be like, why would this work? (laughs) And like, how does this work? And actually, no, we thought it was going to work like this, but actually I don't think it is now. Like, let's all get around this table and let's just mash this out and that is kind of we still very much have that i still call us a startup but I'm yeah well if you were me, we're not if you want to give people <laughs> the ins- the inside scoop is there's lo- there's just lots going on yeah right and talent and hiring the right kinds of people is such a big part of that and also how do you maintain culture throughout that process of rapid scaling of the overall organization and the number of people that that are here and i think that's you've you've created something where your team are so passionate about what they do and are so excited to be here at Tala. Mm. And now this next part of the journey is how do we keep that special energy and that special culture, that dynamism? That's what a big part of, I think, your energy is actually going to going to be on on a day-to-day basis alongside finding and creating the, the, the best product for people. Absolutely. So before I let you go, yeah. one piece of advice to someone who's decided that now's the time for them to get investment. Know your business inside out so that you can understand and accurately appraise whether now really is the right time to do it. And by that, I mean, don't worry about what the investment industry portrays as the right time, but look at your own business Mm -hmm. and your own journey and decide if now is the right time. And if it is, then know what your business is inside out and what you're going to do with that money. Fantastic. Well, thank you so much. Thank you so much for having me, Grace. It's a pleasure. 